0: Well, the Parsha of Toldos, as its name suggests, begins with the Toldos of Yitzchak, as we read the Pasuk, the well-known beginning, the Eilet Toldos Yitzchak ben Avram, these are the the children of Yitzchak, son of Avram, Avram holed Es Yitzchak, Avram begat Yitzchak. I wanted to spend some moments at the outset considering the opening Rashi of the Parsha the opening Rashi actually is quite short, it's so short in fact that many people don't notice it and they think that the second Rashi is the opening one, the famous one about Hashem changing Yitzhak's features to look like Avram, but actually as we said that is the second Rashi. The first Rashi reads as follows. Ve'ele told us Yitzchak, these are the, are the children of Yitzchak, says Rashi, Yaakov ve'esav ha'amurim Parsha. Yaakov and Esav who are mentioned or discussed in the Parsha. And that's it. That's the Rashi over before you know it. And the question, of course, when we meet uh, straightforward rashis like this, we certainly need to be on guard. Because normally we understand rashi is coming to explain something to us, to resolve an issue. Here, if there's one thing we could have worked out for ourselves, Mm -hmm. is that the children of Yitzhak is Yaakov and Esau. What then is moving Rashi in this instance to state what seems to be the obvious? Hey, this is a Rashi that we could have said, which of course is a very disturbing thought. Yaakov and Aesop. <coughs> Secondly, the Rashi has four words, and it only gets more and more baffling. For the Possek introduces, these are the children of Yitzhak. And the children of Yisak are Yaakov and Esau. For whatever reason, Rashi feels the need to alert us to that fact, even though it's more or less obvious. But he goes on to say, Ya-kob ha-amurim be-parsha. Yaakov and Esau, who are spoken about in the Parsha. It just gets worse and worse. There, there are no other Yaakov and Esau that we know of. Only the Yaakov and Esau who are mentioned in the Parsha. So we're given information that we don't feel that we need, and we're given a description that's entirely unnecessary, and that is why the easiest Rashi in this week's Parsha is actually the most difficult. The first one, Yaakov ve'esav ha'amurim (coughs) be'parsha. If we move on, in order to, to give us insight into this comment of Rashi, let's take a look at the second Pasuk. Uh, which states, uh, Yitzhak was 40 years old. The kakhto is Rivka, when he married Rivka. And who is Rivka? Bas <coughs> Ha'arami. She's the daughter of Basuel. Mi Padan from Padanaram, Achos Lavan the sister of Lavan, the Arami, of whom we will have much to discuss. Lo Lisha to him as a wife. So, what's interesting about the second Pasuk is that we know all of this. We know Rivka's background. If you followed Parsha's Chayesara. I don't hear you. No. Nope. <coughs> if you followed follow Parsha's Chayesara, you know Rivka's background. Rivka is uh, the daughter of Asuel. She's the sister of Lavan. So why is this necessary to reiterate? Especially as bringing up her her family and her background, if anything, it only seems to reflect badly on her. That's, that's the, the part of her past she's probably looking to move away from. I assume during the drushes, during Sheverbroches, they didn't really bring up her her family that much. Her father and her brothers some things are better left unsaid, and some people are better left unmentioned. And yet, the pasuk goes out of its way to mention it again. The truth is, not only does the does the beginning of our parsha reiterate information that we know about Rivka, it does likewise with regards to <coughs> Yitzchak. How so? Because the first pasuk tells us Yitzchak is Ben Avram, Avram holy as Yitzchak. He's the son of Avram. Avram begat Yitzhak. Once again, we're giving Yitzhak's background. But we know Yitzhak's background. Now here, of course, we have the... We have the famous Rashi. And that is the reason why the Pesach needs to say that uh, Yitzhak is the son of Avram, and Avram begat Yitzhak is because people were murmuring the scoffers of the generation, the, uh, the gossip columns of the generation, and they said, Sarah's been married for many years, and then she was taken by Abimelech, and now a few months later she has a child. <coughs> so they wanted to say that was a good scoop for them, to say that uh, Abimelech was the father, and so Hashem changed uh, Yitzhak's features to look like Avram, and at that point... Okay, I'm trying to mute everyone. Uh, I do apologize if it's possible for people to mute themselves. It's, uh, technology is not my forte, but uh, let's uh, keep going. So, the question is, this whole idea, people are saying that uh, Yitzhak uh, Yitzha came from Abimelech, Sarah conceived from Abimelech. Why is that mentioned in the beginning of Parshas Toldos? Presumably, those rumors were all uh, abounding at the time that Yitzhak was born, which is in the middle of Parshas Vayera. That would be a time to say that Yitzhak was born, and Yitzhak is the son of Avram, and Avram hold as Yitzhak, and say what needs to be said to dispel the rumors. But the Al-Shech says something very interesting. Sometimes, <coughs> even gossip needs a foothold. Even scoffers need some type of uh, niche to, to give their claim some type of, of traction. When Yitzhak is born, and he's the son of Avram, and Avram is a tzaddik, and Yitzhak is a tzaddik, go claim that Yitzhak was, was, is, the, is the son of Avimelech. There's no, there's no following, there's no one's listening to that. <clears throat> Everything changed in the beginning of Parsha's us. When Yitzhak begins to have children, and those children are none other than Yaakov and Esav. All of a sudden, Yaakov, of course, perfect tzaddik, Ishtam Yoshe Vahalim, Esav, a different kettle of fish altogether. Asaph is a, is a very problematic uh, person. And at this point, the Leitzone Hador finally get traction for what they've been saying all along. You see? How do you account for the existence of Esau? Where does he come from? Isn't, mustn't it be <coughs> that because his father or his grandfather is not Avram? It's Avimelech. And in a sense, what they're saying is, chas that Avram should have a grandson like Esau. So if there is someone like Esau around, doesn't that tell you that Avram is not the grandfather? But rather, Avimelech. And that's why the the rumor mill got going again, right? Be'yesser seis with added uh, grist. And that's why it's, the, the question comes up here. Yitzhak is the son of Avram. Avram holid es Yitzhak. So that everyone knows that Avram is the grandfather, but then, of course, that now begets its own question. So where does ASap come from? Say the Mepharshim, that's what the second pasuk of the Parsha is doing. It's giving us the background to Asaph. If you want to know where Asaph comes from, have a look at Rivka's family. This does not reflect badly on Rivka at all. Rivka is known as Shoshana ben Achochim. She's the rose among the thorns. <coughs> She's the one that got away. But if you ever wonder where did someone like Asaph come from, look at her father, look at her brother. This is the accounting for Asaph. Aha. It turns out, therefore, that the topic of the beginning of our parsha is, is to go back over Yitzhak's background and Rivka's background to account for the fact that they have one son like Yaakov and one son like Esau. Says the Sefer Kosnos Or. The Sefer Kosnos Or was written by Meir Eisenstadt who was better known for his halachic work, Who is one of the outstanding halachic authorities of the 1700s. His response are called Ponim Meiros, of mayor of Eisenstadt. <coughs> but he also has a sefer on the Chumash, which is called Kosnos Or. According to the Kosnos Or, everything that we've been discussing for the last few moments, Yitzhak's background, Rivka's background, Yaakov and Esav, and that whole thing, that is what Rashi is addressing in his opening comment to the Parsha. How so? So we need to know a klal, and this klal is presented by Rashi himself. Sometimes the Torah introduces a topic with the word Eileh, like uh, hadvarim, or and so on and so forth. (coughs) Other times it introduces with the word The Eileh, Eile means these are. The Eile means and these are. the Eyle ha-Mishpatim. What determines or what distinguishes or differentiates between Eile, these are, and Ayla, the and these are? It says Rashi in a couple of places and it's based on the Medrash. If there is no connection between this new topic and the previous one discussed, a clean break, the introduction is Eile. This is a new idea. If there is a connection, then the connection is expressed with the letter Vav, the connecting letter. The Ela we've had a discussion above, and apropos of that topic, or, or yet still connected somehow, the ELA and these is, are something else. <coughs> uh, where do we see this in action? Well, let's see the examples that, that uh, we've given. Parsha's Mishpatim begins V'Eyla HaMishpatim, with Vav, And these are the Mishpatim. Rashi comments. What was the previously mentioned topic in the end of Parsha's Yisro? Matan Torah, Har Sinai, says Rashi. That's the link. Just like the above mentioned is from Sinai, so to Mishpatim is from Sinai. Ayla. it's a continuum. Uh, in contrast, or by contrast, Eile HaDvarim? Eile HaDvarim is a, is a new Chumash, it's a whole new discussion, and therefore there's no connecting Vav. Well, Achar HaDvarim HaEile. With that introduction in mind, so let us have a look at the beginning of Parshas Toldos. And we see <coughs> that it begins with the word V'Eile. Okay. V'Eile seems to give it some type of uh, connection with the most Recent discussion at the end of Chayesara, But what is the most recent discussion? The end of Chayesara is the descendants of Yishmael. The last, the last few verses, really from Shaviv, are the descendants of Yishmael. And now, the question is, how can you talk at the end of Chayesara about Yishmael's children and then go on to speak about Yitzhak's children, and connect the two with the word Ve'ele. But the letter seems to say they have something in common. But of course Yitzhak and Yishmal have nothing in common. So what do, what do Yitzhak's children and Yishmal's children have in common? That's Rashi's issue. And that's why Rashi's Dibur hamaskil. and it's, as, we, as we know from uh, so many cases, it's as important to pay attention to the words Rashi quotes from the Pasuk, that he will comment on as to what his comment itself will be. His comment is not on the words Toldos Yitzchak, it's on the words Ve'ele Toldos Yitzchak. And these are <coughs> implying some, some cohesion with Yitzchak's children, with the above-mentioned Yishmal's children. How can you explain that, says Rashi, because Yitzchak's children were Yaakov Ve'esov. Aha! Ha'amurim Be'parsha, as discussed in the Parsha. Meaning, says Rashi, read on. You'll find out a lot about Yaakov, but also about Esav. Unfortunately, Yisak's children did have something in common with, Yish- with Yishmael's children. Specifically, one of them, that is to say, Esav, so much so, Esav, uh, at the end of the Parsha, ends up getting married to Yishmael's daughter. Motsom Mines right? Like found like. And this, therefore, says the Kosnos Or, is the background to Rashi's comment of um, Yaakov Ve'esav. He's not telling us who Yitzhak's children are. That we know. He's not telling us they'll be discussed in the Parsha. That we know. He's explaining why Yitzhak's children are introduced with a connecting word to Yishmael's children. Classic comment. Interestingly, the matter goes a bit further. I would say to the letter. Not in the realm of Rashi, <coughs> but uh, a parallel discussion or a supplementary discussion. How so? Our Parsha begins it's kul Toldos Eile Toldos uh, Yitzchak. The word Toldos we translate as children, which is uh, ex- acceptable and we've met the word Toldos a couple of times already in the Torah The very first time we meet the word Toldos in the Torah is not about people it's The beginning of Chapter 2 of Beratius, Peric Base. Eile toldos ha-shamayim These are the emanations of the heavens and earth. Eile toldos ha-shamayim in Also, we find toldos with reference to Yishmael's children. At the end of last week's Parsha, the Eile toldos Yishmael. It didn't get the, the full uh, attention of, of toldos Yitzhak, but it's a prior toldos. What's very interesting is, and this the Medrish points out, the word toldos has six letters in it, when spelled out in full. Taf vav lamed, daled vav taf. Toldos, when spelled out in full. <coughs> well, is it spelled out in full? It depends where you look. If you look in the, be- in the first instance that we cited, the beginning of Perik Bayes. Eile toldos hashamayim, the word toldos is written mole, in full, with both vavs. Uh, by contrast, if you look in the end of last week's Parsha, you will see, it says, Eile toldos yishmael, and the word toldos is there, is written, where are we? This is peric Pasag Yud beis. The word toldos is written without a vav. So the question is, without any vav. It's four letters, and we rely on the Nikud for toldos. Is it correct to write it in full with a vav, or deficient, so to speak, without vavs? Says the Medrash. It really depends on what you're talking about. If you're talking about the heavens and earth, which are created by Hashem, which are thus perfect, so when you talk about their toldos, you say to, you spell the word toldos in full because they are themselves sholim. When you talk about Yishmal's children, without putting too fine a point on it, there's not much room for vavs there because there's, there's a lot of chaser. I mean, there's, a lo- there's a lot to be desired. And that is why, says the Medrash, toldos with reference to Yishmal's children is written... Chaser, with no vavs. So now, we are primed, once again, to go back to the beginning of parshas Toldos. Why? Because we know <coughs> that if you're describing a davar shalem, it will be with vavs. If you're describing something deficient, davar chaser, the word will be chaser, without vavs. So now, of course, the million-dollar question is, toldos yitzchak. The third toldos that we come to consider, is that written with vav or without Vavs? And the answer, as we can see in front of us, is yes. Meaning, it has one Vav, and it's missing the second one. The told us, just to have it uh, before us again, Tav Vav Lamed da, Dalet Tav. So it doesn't have both Vavs, but it's not missing both Vavs. It has one, and is missing the second. Says Rav Baruch Halevi Epstein, author of the Torah, Tamima, in his accompanying commentary to the Torah, Tosefes Bracha, <coughs> we can understand why. <laughs> because if toldos, if you're describing something that's Shalem, that's perfect, it will get both vavs. If something's cr- chronically deficient, it will have none. But what if you're describing something, part of which is shalim, and part of which is chaser? So what will you do? The answer is, you'll have one vav, but not the other to indicate that Yitzhak's children, one of them was Shalem, but the other was Chassar. So it's very interesting what the Kosnos Or brought out through the Ve'ele, highlighting for us the the yes-no nature of Toldos Yitzhak. You can see in the word Toldos itself, more Alderech Hamedrish, with Vavs or without Vavs. Interestingly, (coughs) if we go back to to the beginning of Parshas Noach, Which also starts, actually, Elah told us Noach. Uh, The word told us there is also written with one vav and without the second vav. And presumably the reason why is because some of his children were okay and some were not. Shame, of course, is wonderful. Cham, of course, not wonderful. And, of course, he has two children. There's only two vavs. But uh, Yefes is half wonderful. So it actually, I think, works out completely uh, fairly. <clears throat> so these are very illuminating comments. Again, it's such a simple Rashi, we could, we could gloss through it without, without really noticing anything. It's uh, all the more reason for the Gedoli HaMaforshim to stop us and make sure that we don't do that. Okay, let's move on. Legufer Parsha. Rashi himself said, Yaakov and Esav are discussed in the Parsha. Let's discuss them. Pasuk Kafches. <clears throat> Uh, let's just see um, again yes, Perik Kafhe, the beginning of the Parsha Perik Kafhe, Pasuk Kafhes. so the two sons are born and we see that Yitzchak tends seemingly towards Esav, Rivka much more towards Yaakov We'll have to come back to that expression, Tzai befiv hunting in his mouth, whatever that means. There seem to be almost uh, uh, juncture words missing there. Rivka loves Yaakov. Rivka loves Yaakov. Interestingly, when it comes to Yitzhak's love for Esav, it gives a reason, whatever that reason is. When it comes to Rivka's love for Yaakov, it doesn't give any reason, because it doesn't need a reason. Nothing really needs to be spelled out there. But when it comes to Yitzchak and, and Esav, it does give a reason. Kizayid befiv hunting in his mouth. Now, what does that mean? Who's hunting in whose mouth? So if we look at Unculus, Unculus basically says, Zayid because Yitzchak would eat from Esav's hunting. Ochil, because he would eat from Esav's hunting. <coughs> so the good news is, the grammar of the Pasuk has been resolved. The bad news is, the entire concept is completely baffling. After all, what is the Pasuk telling us according to Unculus? Yitzhak has two children, Yaakov and Esav. Which one does he like more? Esav. Why? Because Esav hunts and gives him to eat. That is very disturbing. I mean, that is a basis over which to choose Asav as the one that he loves over Yaakov. I mean, with all due respect to Fleischik's, but I mean, this is uh, and this is the reason given by the pasuk. It happens to be that Rashi provides us with uh, uh, more of a background, shall we say. Rashi cites unculus, but on the words Yodayat Sayed which are which are stated in pasuk Kav Zion, so there's a very well known Rashi Yodeyat Said. Asav knows knows how to trap, knows how to trap what, or knows how to trap whom? Says Rashi, Latzud uLaramos es Aviv beFiv. He knows how to trap his father, because he would ask him these very firm questions. Vesholah Abba, es How does one take surf from salt and from straw? These are high-level Tzidkos questions. His father thought, wow, it's medactic in mitzvah. Now, interestingly, <laughs> and uh, Aesop's question for what it's worth, I mean, Rashi does voice his question, it's a very interesting question for the simple reason that Aesop is asking, how does one take miser from, from salt and straw? How, how do you tithe those things? Well, the answer happens to be that you don't. So so although on face value it seems to be ex- displaying great piety and righteousness, it actually seems to be displaying complete ignorance of the halacha. How does one tithe salt and straw? You don't, right? If a child comes back to their father and asks him this question, the father will then call the school and ask, what, what are you teaching them? Because this is a complete mistake. <coughs> but that is why the muscular David, Rabbi David Pardo, explains... Esau is not asking what the halacha is. Anyone can do that. That's for the proletariat, to ask what the halacha is. Esau is asking, I know that salt and straw are exempt from miser, but is there any way that one could take miser from them nonetheless? As an added measure, as a stringency, as a midas chasidus? anyone can take miser from food. I want to go the extra mile, even from salt and from straw. Very interesting. Other Mefarshi Rashi, the Tseidel one of the classic Mefarshi Rashi, state further or, 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 or mention further. In asking his father specifically about the mitzvah of Maser, Asob did a very cunning thing for the simple reason. That Maser is a mitzvah that Yitzchak introduced into the world. That's what we'll find later on in the Parsha, when it says they measured the, the crop from that year, and they found Me'a sharim. The, the origins of the term Me'a sharim are in this week's Parsha. <coughs> Me'a Sha'arim means a hundredfold. And the reason why they measured is for purposes of Maser. Rashi cites it. And therefore, the mitzvah of Maser, as the mitzvah that Yitzchak introduced into the pre-Jewish people, was very close to his heart. Esav knew which mitzvah to ask from. It's the family mitzvah, in a sense. You know, the mitzvah of Maser, is there any way we, we can develop it, etc.? Okay. Be that as it may. He's asking about Chumras, he's asking about the family mitzvah. It's all very impressive. Yitzhak and Esav or Esav and Yitzhak we could say had all the trappings of a good relationship and yet at the end of the day he chooses Esav over Yaakov, he's got to know that Esav is no Yaakov, with all due respect to these Shilas, and by the way one wonders, you know, he asked that Shila about Meiser from Salt and Straw on Monday, okay and what did he ask on Tuesday, I mean uh, does he have an endless repertoire of, of these types of questions, this is just an example <coughs> we don't know so it's still puzzling if we can sum up where we are just that so we don't lose track of anything. The Pesach says that Yitzhak loves Esau more than, seemingly, more than Yaakov. And it gives the reason. Because, because he, he, hunting in his mouth, if it means Esau feeds Yitzhak, that's uh, completely baffling. That's a reason to love Esau more. And even if he thinks that Esau is medactic in mitzvahs, but to, the, to, to the equivalent of Yaakov, cannot be. So it's very puzzling. What makes it more puzzling, and the, the, the Rashi that we've cited so far, Miser from Salt and Straw, and all of that is well known. Let's go to a Rashi later in the Parsha, not so well known, as Yitzchak primes Esav to, um, to go out and hunt from him, and, <coughs> and and bring him back so that he'll give him the brachas. That's going to be impaired Peric- Kaf Zayin, Pasuk Gimel. Okay? Kaf gimme. What does he say? What does Yitzhak say to ke'lecha. Okay, we are gonna leave the word Sa no Kelecha untranslated just for a moment. Take your kalim, your tools, telekabashtecha, your sword, your bow. Go out to the field and hunt for me hunting. Bring it back and I'll give you the brachas, and that's that. <coughs> Rashi explains that the word sa na kelecha. I think we might have said sa means like from vayisa enav. To lift up, raise up, I mean, raise up your, you know, pick them up. But Rashi says no. Sa means sharpen your knife. He brings up a, a, a source in the Mishnah in Beitza, Messiah. And what does it mean? Why is Yitzchak telling Esav <coughs> to sharpen his knife? Chadei tzakincha. Make sure your knife is sharp. I want you to shecht properly. Shelo So that you shouldn't feed me non-kosher food. That's very interesting. After all, this is the same Yitzchak who thinks... That Esav is meddactic with be- be- mitzvahs, with bells and whistles, with humors and all, and yet, <coughs> when it comes to sending him out to sheft, he says, "Oh, and by the way, please sharpen your knife, because remember, I eat kosher." How does that fit in with 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 Esav taking Yitzhak in? He doesn't seem to, to rate him very highly at all. He suspects if he doesn't remind him, he's just going to feed him treif meat, and it only gets worse, because on the on the the second verse in that in that pasuk again perikaf zayin pasuk gimel vitzudali trap for me says Rashi mina hefker velomin hagezel take from hefker things don't steal this is all very distressing Asav we understand has been uh, uh, setting up a charade over years if not decades and, and Rashi earlier told us that his father goes for it. And here we see he doesn't trust Esav at all. He doesn't trust him not to feed him treph. He doesn't trust him not to not not to steal. How are these two comments of Rashi reconciled with each other? It's a major question. (coughs) Sometimes life is simpler when you only know one of the Rashi's. But clearly the picture is not complete. And that is why the Be'er Yosef, Rabbi Yosef Salant, one of the greats of the last uh, last few decades. He says, if you look at the contents of the blessing that, that Yitzhak gives to Asaph the famous you can when and that's when he thinks that he's talking to Asaph It's very different than the blessing he gives to Yaakov at the end of the Parsha. At the end of the Parsha, which is in Perik Kafches, of Gimel and dalid, that's when he says, Hashem should give you Birkas Avram. When he knows he's talking to Yaakov, he says Hashem should give you the bracha of Avram. He should give you the land of Israel, the bracha of Eretz Yisrael. All of these very, very precious and holy things are things he only mentions to Yaakov when he knows it's Yaakov. He didn't say that to, to, when he thought he was talking to Esau. <coughs> Clearly he wants to give him a bracha, but it's a different type of bracha. Talashamaim. Neha Haaretz, they're good things, but it's physical bounty. What's it all about? Who does he think is the Tzaddik? Says the Ber Yosef, there is a very well-known discussion that takes place in the Rambam. In the Rambam Shmona Prokim, which are his, his famous introduction of eight chapters to his commentary on Pirkei Ovos. And there, I think it's chapter number five, the Rambam discusses <coughs> a very interesting question. Who is better, a person who naturally tends towards good, or a person who actually has has rather negative tendencies, but reins them in, curbs them, and does the right thing anyway? One can really hear both sides. On the one hand, if he's naturally good, that sounds very good, so he is good, but he's Doing less good, that is to say, he's activating less good energy because it's quite natural for him. And this is the question that the Rambam discusses who is better? And it's an ongoing discussion. I mean, one could say it proceeded. The Rambam also, the sources in the Gemara with regards to this. The Rambam himself, just in point of fact, just to know, <coughs> he distinguishes between different types of mitzvahs. There's some mitzvahs that we would call uh, moral imperative mitzvahs, not to steal. With those mitzvahs, says Rambam, better is the person that doesn't want to steal. Better is the person that doesn't want to kill someone. It do, it's, doesn't sound so good. If a person says, I, I'd really like to murder someone, but you know, good person that I am or moral person that I am, I, I get control of myself. That doesn't sound like a good person. A person who wants to kill other people, a person who wants to steal from other people. Everything I see, I'd like to take for myself. But, you know, I don't do it because it doesn't sound so good. I mean, good for you that you don't do it. But better is the person who's naturally generous and naturally kind and naturally all of that. <clears throat> so in the realm of moral imperative mitzvos, better is the person who's naturally inclined towards them. What the Rambam calls mitzvos sichlios, Seichel tells you. Intellectual imperative, moral imperative, whatever. But in other mitzvot where we don't look upon them as, as uh, Seichel would not tell you, uh, avoiding non-kosher food. Uh, it doesn't doesn't make a difference one way or the other if you're drawn to it or not (coughs) indeed the Midrash says and the Rambam cites this a person shouldn't say I can't stand on kosher food you could say I I wouldn't mind having it but the Torah says I can't do it it's better because uh, uh, the person is reigning in more moral energy to to do the right thing that's the Rambam's famous division either way the question is out who's better the one who naturally has it or the one who has to work for it interesting Shaila and this brings us, says the Bear Yosef, to Yaakov and Esav. Without taking anything away from Yaakov, it's very clear that Yaakov has natural good tendencies, ishtam yosheva halim. He naturally tends towards good. He, he still has a, his 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 lifetime avoda is to develop it, to take it even higher. Obviously, it's not he can't retire at birth. Uh, he has a lifetime of work ahead of him, but it's developing already positive tendencies. Asaph is not like that. Asaph literally comes out the color of blood, and uh, who knows what's going to happen. And, and, and very early on, you can see that he has, he has blood-shedding blood tendencies. But you know, whatever tendencies you have, the Gemara already says, it doesn't yet mean anything. It doesn't con- condemn you or consign you to be a good or bad person because you can be a good or bad person with whatever tendencies you have. And the Gemara discusses some. The Gemara itself in Masechah Shabbos and Davkuf Vav discusses a person who has a tendency towards bloodshed. <coughs> the Gemara says if he's born when the muzzle of Mars, Ma'adim, is, is, is dominant, that's a, blood, that's a bloodshedding person. So what's he going to be? tzaddik or Russia? says the Gemara, it depends. He can be either. If he's a Roshah, he'll be a killer. He'll be a highwayman. He could be a bainani. Maybe he'll be a butcher. Anyone who eats meat appreciates that there's someone out there who's doing something that they might not have the stomach to do. And it's a, it's a profession, and it's a, not for everyone, but uh, it's a profession like anything else. <clears throat> and if he's a Tzaddik, says the Gemara, he could be a Moal. Right? We might add, he could be a surgeon. He's doing mitzvahs. Aha! So so tendencies do not consign you. There's still any number of those levels: Russia, benign or tzaddik, evil person, intermediate or uh, or tzaddik. So Yitzchak knows that Esav has a tendency towards bloodshed, but he also sees something else: that ACE es- in his estimation, and this is what Esav is looking to present to Yitzhak. Esau is looking to take his bloodshedding tendencies and elevate them and sublimate them and enlist them in a higher and more noble cause. Now, how many causes are there? There's only so many people who could do Mila on back in the day. Everyone's taken care of. But what does he do? He hunts. And from his hunting, he feeds his father. In other words, he takes his hunting, and he takes his bloodshedding and all of that, and it all brings him to the mitzvah of Kibbut Av. <coughs> that is why Unkula says Yitzhak loves Esau because he ate from his hunting. He would give him to eat. In other words, Yitzhak's heart goes out to Esau because he sees this is Esau's way of trying to take his nature and use it for good. Use it for a higher purpose. Use it for a mitzvah purpose. And the truth is, with this in mind, we come back to Esau's famous questions. How do you take my surf from salt and from straw? Rash, the commentators of Rashi all wonder, I mean, you don't. What type of question is this? You don't. The Pardes Yosef explains as follows. When Esau is asking this question about meiser from salt and straw, there's, something, there's a subtext here. He's talking about something else. He's talking about himself. What does that mean? We've noted, right, the halacha is, what do you take meiser from? Food, actual food. Salt and straw, no. Why? Because salt and straw are not actual food. They, they have an auxiliary or ancillary role, a supporting role, a secondary role, but they're not the food itself. They're not the real thing. The mitzvah of Maser is, is a mitzvah that applies to food itself, which then elevates it, etc. Everything that's to the side, one could say, gets left behind. And now come back to Esau's question. He says, Father, how does one take Maser from salt and straw? What does he mean to say? The answer is, of course, you don't. But that's Asaph's point. Because he's saying, you know, I look at Yaakov. Yaakov is the real thing. Yaakov is the food. Yaakov will go far. If only I was like him. But I'm not. He's the food. You know what I am? I'm the salt and the straw. I'm just, I'm, I'm to the side. I don't, I don't have it. So what hope? <coughs> what hope is there for someone like me? And that's the way he's presenting himself. I'm a straw man. I'm a, I'm a straw personality. How can you take myself from a person like me? Where will my tikun come from with all of my bloodshedding and all of that? I'm trying. But is there is there really any hope for me? It's an amazing insight into what Asav is doing. Asav knows he could never get away with pretending to be like Yaakov. He doesn't pretend to be like Yaakov. <clears throat> he pretends to be. He doesn't pretend to be a perfect tzaddik. He pretends to be a struggling tzaddik. And the truth is, with this in mind, there really is no contradiction between the early Rashi, where Yitzchak is taken in by Asav's questions, and the later one, where he keeps on reminding him: "Sharpen the knife to chef properly. Don't steal." Right? That's a slap in the face. If you've presented yourself as a perfect tzaddik, how can you? Be, how can you? be told things like that. But <coughs> but Esau never presents himself. He presents himself as as an aspiring tzaddik who needs help. He's a tzaddik in waiting. But he needs help. <coughs> Which means Yitzhak, when his heart goes out to him, he offers him help. And that's the dynamic of the relationship. Which means Esau, the way that it would go, obviously, we're pictorially, but uh, when Yitzhak says to Esau, okay, Esau, I'd like you to go and shepter me. Remember Esau, remember Make sure the knife is sharp. And what does Aesop say to that? Thank you. Thank you, Father. Thanks for reminding me. You know I forget sometimes. I'm really trying. You know, don't give up on me. And then he says, and go out and hunt. Remember, make sure it's Hefker. You don't want to be stealing. Thank you again for the reminder. I'm doing my best. That's how it goes. And for that reason, uh... Yitzhak is, is, in a sense, taken in. It's a completely deeper dimension as to what exactly uh, Esau is looking to do with Yitzhak. So much so, the Ber Yosef says a big kiddush now. And that is, if you look at the brachos that, uh, that Yitzhak gives when he thinks he's giving to Esau, which, of course, is at the end of uh, Perikav Zayn, Perak Kaf Zayin Pasuk Aleph, famous psukim. VeYiten Lacha. Just to have it in front of us, though. Pardon me. Perak Kaf Zayin Pasuk Ches. It's Shishi. VeYiten Lacha. And Shishi is the famous Aliyah. Interestingly, Rav Zevin cites in the and uh, the Sefer Ma'adeh B'Halacha in, in Simchas Torah they used to auction off all the Mesugal Aliyahs for the year. And in Russia. One of the aliyahs that went for for a, a, a lot of money was Shishi of Parshas Toldos, the brachas of, of Yitzhak, which Yaakov ended up taking. Why? Because it's about Yaakov's winning out over Esau. It was held to be a segula for avoiding conscription into the Tsar's army. It's a, it's a whole... These are things that we have no uh, notion of, uh, Baruch Hashem. It was one of the expensive aliyahs. We know from after Yonah, you have all sorts of... Uh, uh, stories about that. Vachule Shishi of Toldos was, was, a, was a main focus on Simcha's Torah. Either way. <coughs> so, what does he tell him? We know the words. Hashem should give you from the dew of the heavens, from the fat of the land. And much uh, grain, much uh, uh, wine, etc. Says the Bey Yosef, I have a simple Shila. Asav is a hunter. This is not a blessing for a hunter. It's a blessing for a farmer. If you're by profession, you're a hunter, so the blessing you give to a hunter is good good hunting. If you work in a field, so the blessing you give is you should have good rainfall and good crops. It seems to be a mismatch. So what's happening? Says the Be'er Yosef, Yitzchak has hopes for Esav. And Aesav has really shown that he's looking to 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 rise above his position. And Yitzhak feels <coughs> the time has come for Aesav to change jobs, to hang up his hunting tools once and for all after this time, and to become a farmer. And that's why in the Pasuk that we quoted, Peret Gavzai and Pasuk Gimel, he says, Vaata and now. Take up your tools. And now, meaning, this is the last time. And, if you, and, and, and of course, turn it into a mitzvah. This will be the ultimate sublimation because this will be the, the basis of the blessings. But after that, the blessing I'm going to give you is for your new job, which is waiting for you. In the fields, like a nice, hamisher person who doesn't kill anything anymore. Amazing chiddush. So these are the Bear Yosef's uh, observations. Of course, as we know, Rivka sees into Esau more than Yitzhak does for a couple of reasons. Uh, firstly, I mean, the, the popular answer that's given is that Esau is a trickster, and Rivka, has, she's familiar with tricksters. <coughs> she, uh, she grew up with, with the Rebbe of all tricksters. I mean, that, that, that's Lavan. We're going to meet him in, uh, at length in all of his uh, sneakiness. Uh, before too long. So she knows what a charade looks like and she knows what a smooth facade looks like. She's not as taken in as, uh, as Yitzhak is. Again, it's, it's very difficult to oversimplify. One can never presume to know what is going on, ultimately, in the mind of someone like Rivka and Yitzhak. I mean, these are, these are the others and the Imaos. But the Mefarshim do say that. Additionally, Rivka already knows that the two sons are going in different directions. Now, that can mean many things. That's the nevuah that she got at the beginning of the Parsha. Right? from the womb they will, they will separate and as, as far as we know she never told that to Yitzhak at that time if you receive a prophecy it's for you and for you only <coughs> so she has more of an insight into Esau into she knows that any blessing that's given to Asaf will be squandered if not abused and not only is the, will the blessing be wasted on, on Yaakov it's ne- pardon me on Asav. It's needed by Yaakov. These are the two parts of the equation. Yitzhak wants to give a blessing of, for, of this sort to Asav because he thinks Aesov will do good with it, and Yaakov doesn't need it. But Rivka says no. Asav will do bad with it, and Yaakov does need it, and that's why she engineers. By Yaakov to receive the blessings uh, as he does, and the rest of the of, co- of course, as we say, is history. So these are some discussions with regards to. Uh, to Yaakov and Esau, it's important to get a deeper understanding of these things um, as, we, as, as, we, uh, as we go through the Parshas. The final uh, few moments uh, was a topic that certainly as, as will become apparent. I was not thinking of speaking about certainly not before too, too long ago, but uh, I do feel it's very apropos and that it's based on a comment of Rashi in uh, Perikavah, Posik Lamed Dalet, 26, 26, 34. <coughs> and this is the first of Esau's weddings. He has a few in, in the Parsha. But it begins here. <speaking in Hebrew> Esau is, is uh, 40 years old. <speaking in Hebrew> and he marries two women, and each one is worse than the other, as the Pasuk goes on to say. Rashi comments, though, because it's very interesting the Torah tells us how old he was when he got married. The Torah doesn't say how old Avram was when he got married, or how old Yaakov was when he got married, or, in, or for that matter, how old almost anyone was when they got married. But we do hear it by Yitzhak, in the beginning of the Parsha. Yitzhak was 40. Esav is 40. Says Rashi, haya Esav is compared to a pig. I think history has shown that Rashi perhaps uh, might not ne- even need, have needed to elaborate, but he does. He brings a pasuk, You know what the pig is like? When he crouches down, he sticks his hooves out. Lomar See, because the pigs of uh, the the, uh, the hooves of the pig are actually split. They actually look kosher. I mean, from the, from the hoof downward, uh, the pig looks very kosher. Uh, he's just very treph inside, and the same is true of Asa because Asa is a rotten person through and through, and yet, in a very external type of way, he he seeks to emulate his father. Right? Father got married when he was forty. I'm getting married when I'm forty. I'm all from Uh Chip off the old block. I'm practically indistinguishable from from my father. You know, like father, like son. And of course, this is the only thing they have in common, and it's the most external thing. Um, just to how old they were when they got married. A couple of weeks ago, the uh, Torah world, uh, unfortunately, or sadly, lost a, a great, great person. And he was um Volkin. He was the Mashkiach in the Yeshiva Sateris Yisrael. That is the Yeshiva that I learned in Azabachar. And he was a really uh, a unique personality in terms of his his background, his father, Rup Shmuel David Volkin, who some might n- have known uh, in, in Brooklyn or in uh, Kew Gardens, uh, as a bacher, his father lived in the Chavitz house. And, he, and his summers, he spent vacationing with with Rameer Simch of Davinsk, the, the Meshachachma. I mean, this is a person who, who ha- was in touch with, with the greats. <coughs> and the Mashkir's grandfather of Aaron Volkin himself, as was the Talmud of the Natsiv, the Rav of Pinsk, it just goes back further and further. And Ravolkin was, was an heir to this rabbinic legacy. In fact, you, as is well known, the, the Mir Yeshiva and some of its affiliates escaped in the Second World War, crossed Russia to Japan, then Shanghai. And that's where they were uh, during the war. The Mashkiach, Ravolkin, was born in Shanghai. His family went to, together with the Mir. And, uh, and he was born there in 1945 in Shanghai. He showed me his passport. He had a Chinese passport. My debt to him, uh, on a a personal level, is is, uh, actually incalculable. Because when I first came to yeshiva, and it was an Israeli yeshiva, Israelis and chutznikim are not exactly the same thing. Uh, Israelis and English people are practically the opposite to each other. And there was a great deal of transition that needed to take place, and he was the one that that was there. He learned with me every day and introduced me to his Maserwin and, and set me on my feet, and... In the, in the fullness of time, a number of years later, he gave me a uh, smicha, in fact. Uh, I was able to get smicha from him, uh, which was uh, qu- quite a grueling uh, experience. In any event, <coughs> one of the times that I met with him in recent years was after the Seum HaShas. And uh, this, the, in, in New York, the Siyom HaShas was in a place called MetLife Stadium, which is actually the home of the, of the Mets baseball team, uh, New York Mets, um, and it was a massive affair, thousands upon tens of thousands of people, maybe a hundred thousand people, however many there were, it was an absolute uh, enormous event. And he was there, actually, at the time, and he came back, and he, he had one thing to say about this event. He said, I was there <coughs> with, uh, with my family, with my children, with my grandchildren, and at a certain point, one of my grandchildren turns to his father and says, uh, is there going to be a Mets game after this? MetLife Stadium. That means the Mets. Is there going to be a Mets game? So I, I thought he was, it was kind of like a, a cute story. Of course, everyone's entitled to tell cute stories. But then Reb Vulkan, Balkin, he, he smiled at me. And he said, a child says the MS. For him, from the whole event, and of course there were many, many wonderful things that happened, all the speakers and then thousands of people, see but, but he heard a child say, say the MS. It's the Emmes in a sense, without any guile, and without any feeling that he needs to cover up what he thinks, he said what was on his mind. He would like to see a Mets game. And, and for Rapa that was a that was the the standout event of the whole evening at the time i didn 't really make much of it until earlier this morning because they they recently published um, some Musser thoughts of Ra Vulcan of the Mashkiach. literally it came out a few weeks ago, and I was ok to receive it from from him personally, on Cholomot which is really just a, like over a month ago. Of course, it's, it's, it's a world away now. <laughs> and in Parshas Toldos, on this Rashi, which talks about Asav and Asav's pig's feet, and, and uh, how he shows to be kosher, <laughs> he cites a comment of the Noam Eli Melech. The Noam Eli Melech, the great Hasidic master, and of course, Reb Chaim who was of Litvish uh, stock, but his his reach was very broad, and, and for him Chassidim and uh, all, the, all the works were were kulam ahuvim, kulam and he, he was familiar with all of them. <coughs> he cites the Noam Melech of Lizensk. and the Noam Melech says, people always like children; they're always drawn towards uh, children. Why is it so? You know, little kids; they're always very. Everyone wants to know what they're going to say, and etc. So we might think, well, just because they're very interesting, and etc. But the Naum says, the reason why people, there's something that draws people to, to little children is because children always say what's on their mind. They always speak the truth. Meaning, if they're, if they're happy, they'll show you they're happy. If they're upset, they'll say it. If they think someone is boring, they will walk away. Right? they won't listen patiently to them if something is uncomfortable for them they will not go through it uh, there's, there's no notion of pretending to be something if, if they're not that what they, what they feel is what they say and the Norm Le says people resonate with that and as the way in a sense a person should be of course when you grow up you, you, you can't always be that way you, <coughs> you can't always tell people exactly what you think of them <coughs> and you can't always uh, act the way that a, that a child would but the kernel of truth is something that people value and they see it so openly in, in a young child and they, and they gravitate towards it and the reason why he mentions this <coughs> in, in our Parsha is because the tragedy quote unquote I mean it is a tragedy the tragedy of, of asaph Is that he's so far invested into appearances, he has no notion of how he actually is anymore. It's all about how do I look, and in a sense, there's no hope for him anymore. So Asa represents an abdication of truth on a pathological level, on a chronic level, (coughs) and uh, you know we don't know many people like Asa, but this this can exist within every person on some level, on a significant level. And that's why, right. and, and this put me back in mind, I, I got a deeper understanding of what, of what sounded at the time like it's like a nice story about his, his grandchild was, was really a, a reverberation of this idea wherever he heard truth genuinely, or authentically expressed. That's a very valuable thing because a person can never really get anywhere in life. It can never really uh, develop, not morally, not spiritually, or anything, if, if they're... Cur- constantly invested in presenting themselves as how they're not because, they're, they're, because there's no one there to work with and this was his of course in his own way he was a mashkir <coughs> but, uh, his, his call his call for, for, for genuineness and if one may say that was him through and through I, I truly hope that uh, an appreciation of him and a portrait of him will yet emerge because the goodness that he spread was really something not only that we can admire sometimes it's great people and you admire them but it has nothing to do with you but these are things that that are so easy just as soon as one one's eyes are opened uh, to emulate each and our own experience in the meanwhile that is his uh, his comment with regards to our parsha i'm grateful for the occasion to have been able to even just for a few moments to to have uh, spoken about him next week uh, back we will resume our deliberations in the meanwhile I wish you all a good evening a wonderful week ahead all the very best